Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give to us now the very gift of your peace and your spirit. Help us to leave aside all of the things of this life and help us to now hear your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we've got an easy topic before us today. It's a Holy Trinity Sunday. And so I'll just go ahead and I'll let you talk a little bit with somebody around you in your understanding and explanation of the Holy Trinity. We could probably wrap this up in a minute or two, right? Is that you can plumb the depths of this very thing. Maybe, maybe it might require a little bit more for us to think through today. See, today we come into the midst of this text from John chapter 8 that at least in my eyes, maybe in your eyes too, comes off a little startling. Not every other Bible reading starts off with somebody accusing Jesus of having a demon and then ends with them picking up rocks to throw at him. Now it comforts me that not all of Jesus' sermons always end so well also. <laughs> that usually my sermons that don't end so well are my fault. <laughs> His, usually it's just that it hits a little too close to home for others. So what happened that in the midst of this is that all of a sudden, those that Jesus is now preaching to, all of a sudden it just devolves into name-calling and threats in the midst of this. See, in C.S. Lewis's you know, classic work of mere Christianity, he talked about the fact that when we come to that identity of Jesus and who we say that he is, is that not only throughout history, but even today, is that we find ourselves often facing three choices of how we answer this question of who is Jesus. That there are some that say that Jesus is a liar, one who indeed would claim such things as being the Son of God, one who could do such amazing things and so much else, and that there are those that would say that he simply isn't telling the truth. That they would claim that very fact that anyone who so often claims these things are people that are controlling, manipulative, looking for authority and power over others. But is that what we see in Jesus? Do we see one who is money-hungry or power-seeking or authority-grabbing? No, I don't think we see the same. Now, the fact is, is that there's another, there's a second response. I mean, in the broad scheme of things, you might feel the same. If somebody walked up to you today and went ahead and said, Hi, I'm the Son of God, how would you respond? Maybe you might answer a little nervously. Tell me a little bit more about that. I'd love to hear what, what does that mean. <laughs> you look at them like they're crazy. That C.S. Lewis says is that sometimes there are those that can claim that Jesus was a lunatic, somehow just with delusions of grandeur, claiming something that simply was not his. But the fact is, is that what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus? A madman out of control, someone who is so often just simply doing whatever is there, or do we see one 
a preacher of peace, a healer of illness, one who spoke with forgiveness and compassion, who welcomed and accepted the outsider and the outcast, the one who loved the sick, cared for the poor, lifted up the hungry and fed them. Do we see this one who loved so deeply, cared so much, gave so much of himself, let it all behind for the sake of others? Do we see this as the very actions of someone who would lie to us or be crazy to us? So C.S. Lewis says that there's a third that if he is not a liar or a lunatic, then he must be the very Lord that he claims to be. See, that's the very question that we come into in the midst of John chapter 8. That Jesus isn't talking to atheists who just won't believe in God. He doesn't speak to agnostics who are just kind of, eh, I just don't know what to believe. That he's not speaking to those who are hard-bitten critics or cynics or anything else, but it says in, eight, in chapter 8, verse 31, that Jesus now began to speak to those who had believed in him. A sermon on discipleship went terribly wrong. <laughs> that Jesus began to speak to them of what does it mean to be those who follow the Lord? What does it mean to be those who trust and believed in Him and what He came to preach and do? And they now call Him as one who has a demon and prepare to cast stones at Him. What happened? <laughs> what went so wrong? See, the fact is, is what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Are we willing to let him be the God who he is and not the God that we want him to be? Are we willing to admit and acknowledge that he is the one who speaks truth even when we want to hear something else? Are we willing to lay down of our own preconceived notions and our own imaginations and our own desires and yearnings and simply say that he is the one who gets to call the shots? See, they became so angry, so upset about what Jesus was saying about Abraham and the claims that were there that they couldn't help but respond. But we live in a world today that is just as much wrestling with that question of who is this Jesus? And what does that mean to me? The question is that if Jesus truly is the Lord of creation, the very one who is the God who was before Abraham ever was, as it says in this text today, that as Jesus speaks to them this truth, that you say that you know him. You say that he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. Is that if I were to say that I do not know him, then I would make myself a liar. No, Jesus is the one who reveals the truth, the true God, and the true one who is today. 
And yet when you look out in this world, you see, hear so many different claims about Christ, so many different words that are out there, and you will hear many smart people with many titles behind their names tell us that story of how Jesus became the Son of God. They'll tell the story of this nice little Jewish boy who grew up and desired to fight against oppression and all sorts of other problems, and he found himself up against Rome and those high priests, and he was killed for it. Just the wrong place at the wrong time. But there were some, there were some that believed so much in what he preached and taught that somehow they felt that he lived on with them. And then after many, many years, as Jesus continued to go from this guy who was just a nice Jewish man, that over the years, then in 325 A.D. at this council called Nicaea with this emperor from Rome named Constantine, that that's when they declared Jesus the Son of God. Now I hope that you're picking up my sarcasm so far. But that is what many will begin to say. So if that is the truth, that Jesus just kind of became and eventually the church said him to be, then why here in this first century document are people upset and ready to kill him when he claims that he is the Son of God and the very Lord of our lives? It's because he is. But will we allow him be. See, maybe you've heard these words before. Maybe you've heard them all too often, or maybe you yourself have said them. Maybe when I repeat these, they will just take you back to those moments that you heard them. Don't make me come down there. Has anyone heard those words maybe recently? <laughs> Anybody ever heard those words from their wife? I mean, that's, that's always difficult. It's one thing when you're a kid. It's a different when it's your spouse. What's in those words? That very threat. You better stop whatever it is that you're doing down there or I am going to come down and I am going to bring some punishment. Don't make me come down there. Is that what Jesus threatens? <laughs> Is that what Jesus says to us? Don't make me come down there or I... Mm. What do we see? We see him come down, preaching a message of peace, love, faith, truth, care, healing, forgiveness, and grace. And what do we do? We call him names, and we prepare to throw stones at him. That eventually we will take him to the place where we will spit upon him and mock him and nail him to a tree. That Jesus comes down here, not in punishment or in threat, but to reveal himself as the true son of God who comes to rescue us from our sin. And what do we do? We kill him. Does that make sense to you? 
that when love comes down, the Lord of our life, why is it that we so often thrust him from the places that he desires to reside? From those places that he has something to say? Why is it that we so often say, God, you can come into all of my life, but just not there? Or God, I need you to do, but not that. That when your prayers aren't answered, or when life gets tough, or when you find yourself dealing with this issue or that issue or that problem and your, answer, your prayers aren't being answered, do you find yourself feeling all alone? Wondering, is it all a lie or why isn't God doing or why is, is could it be true? That why is it that in those moments that we feel all alone, See, I had a moment a number of years ago that I felt alone. Not that, kind of, not that kind of aloneness that God had somehow abandoned me, quite the opposite. So my family and I found ourselves in the middle of Yellowstone National Park. I think it was like a three-mile hike. And I think we saw a grand total of about four people on the entire team. So often we found ourselves all alone without a person in sight. And I came to know that day of what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 8. That when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are even mindful of him? Is it what is the son of man that you even care for him? In the midst of a world that is so much bigger than you, in a universe that is so much grander and greater and more beautiful than your problems, <laughs> that there is a God who created it all, that there is a son who loved you so much that he stepped down from over all of that and he came down to die for you. He said, what does the psalmist say? And yet you have made me a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned me with the glory and honor of creation. What are we in the midst of so much? And Jesus came down, not with threat of punishment, but he came down with that very peace. That he came down to bring us that very forgiveness so that in whatever pain, whatever problem, whatever situation or place that you find yourself and you wonder, where is God? And you wonder, how am I so alone? That God has promised you are not alone in that moment. That the Father who created you, the Son who redeemed you, the very Spirit who came to sanctify you and to make you His very own has stepped down into your life and promises, never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. 
And maybe one day when you find yourself in a day that you may be surrounded by family, but feel all alone, that on your deathbed, that hopefully you'll know those very words that Jesus said, that if I go to prepare a place for you, that I will come and I will take you to be with me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, that I will come and take you to be with me. That I don't know your pain, I don't know your problems, I don't know your doubts or your questions about Jesus. But I know that he knows you so much and loved you so much that he came down to take your place upon that cross and to give you this day and every day a peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, when we look out in this world and see the beauty of this creation, we know the very glory and honor and majesty of your name. But it is only in the cross of Jesus that we come to know of the great love that you have given us. That it is only in Jesus that we come to know you, not just as we want you to be, but as you truly are. And so today we pray as we celebrate this gift of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all at work within us. Remind us that we are not alone, but you, you are great, O Lord.